State lawmakers don't necessarily generate a lot of national interest, but they're about to be really important when it comes to shaping the future of the abortion debate in the states. Hey there, Pulse Check listeners. This is Annie Reese. My name is Megan Musserly, and I cover state health policy for Politico. For decades, there was only so much state lawmakers could do to control abortion. They could pass laws regulating clinics, ban certain abortion methods, and mandate parental consent for minors. But Roe was in place. Now, the power to decide if and when abortion is legal is in their hands. Even though this issue is going to be decided on a state-by-state basis, you know, we've already seen the impacts spill across state borders, right? As we see states that are supportive of abortion rights preparing for an influx of patients from non-abortion supportive states. So, you know, it's the, all of these decisions will have an impact across state borders, regardless of where you live. On the show today, the key states and lawmakers shaping abortion policy now Plus, why abortion activists are hopeful that federal executive action could be on the way. So we know that the Supreme Court overturning Roe kicks it back to the states. So first, in how many states is abortion legal and in how many is it illegal? So the answer to that question is ever-changing. It literally changes on a minute-by-minute or hour-by-hour basis. But at Mm -hmm. this point, it's more than two dozen. More than two dozen where it's illegal. More than two dozen where it's illegal. That's correct. Yeah. And so those are the states that have trigger bans that have gone into effect. Some went into effect immediately after the decision came down. Some, there had to be an extra step, like an attorney general certifying that the Supreme Court had indeed overturned Roe. So in some cases, that took a couple of days. So we've seen some of those trickle in. And then at the same time, we're seeing this wave of court action, either challenging trigger bans or asking courts to lift injunctions that, you know, predated the Dobbs decision, um, allowing those six-week bans to go into effect. So uh, from that list, states keep getting added to the list of states where it's illegal and states keep getting subtracted depending on where things are at with that certification process and then with these court battles. Yeah, it's an overwhelming number of places with a lot of different distinctions. But you and others have this great new piece in the 50 where you basically hone in on some of the key states that are interesting to watch where abortion is in flux, either with state governments that want to restrict or ban it or that want to codify and legalize it. You all settled on eight states to watch. Just briefly, could you just list them? What are those states? Yeah, so we looked at eight states in this story. California, Ohio, Arizona, Florida, New York, Virginia, Missouri, and Indiana. And so in our conversation, we wanted to hone in on the action in three of those states that I feel like represent the three different realities of many states, either with, again, like a government set to codify abortion rights, one set to to ban it, or a split government. So first, Ohio. Yeah, so Ohio is this really interesting case where they have this six-week ban that they passed before the Dobbs decision came down. It was enjoined by the court. Uh, It has now been allowed to go into effect. So some abortions are still allowed in Ohio, just only um, 
up to the detection of fetal cardiac activity, which is around six weeks. And so that is currently the standard in Ohio. However, there's already talk among lawmakers about what they might pass when they return to Columbus in either November or December. The thought is that they will consider a total ban on abortion with just exception for uh, life of the pregnant person. Um, If their life is in jeopardy, there would be an exemption for that, but they're not expected to consider anything that has rape or incest in it. And it would be stricter than that six-week ban that they have in place right now. And, you know, I've spoken with the Senate President Matt Huffman. Who has such a long history on this. Yes, yeah. So Senator Huffman, actually his mom helped found a crisis pregnancy center. So he has this long family legacy of you know opposition to abortion. And so now he's sort of seen as, obviously there are a lot of folks in the Ohio legislature, which is controlled by Republicans, uh, you know, who aren't supportive of abortion rights and who, you know, advocate for for restricting access. Um, but he's really kind of seen as a key figure in this, but it probably won't be until later this fall that they actually take this issue up. And then on the other end of the spectrum, we've got California. Yeah, so California, I mean, this won't come as a surprise to anyone uh, who follows California politics, knows anything about California, but they're sort of, you know, at the vanguard uh, on the other side of the issue, um, you know, trying to protect abortion access as much as possible. So lawmakers there actually just approved this measure that will place a constitutional amendment on the November ballot asking voters to basically codify the right to abortion and the right to contraception uh, in the state's constitution. So, you know, California's court, you know, way back even before Roe was decided, um, had found, uh, their Supreme Court had found that there was a constitutional right to abortion in the state's constitution. Uh, But this is now putting that in there explicitly. So California voters will have a chance to actually weigh in on whether they would like that to be in their state's constitution. And then finally, I wanted to talk about one of the interesting middle ground states that you wrote about, Virginia, that has this split government. Yeah, so Virginia is actually this really interesting case where, you know, we've seen uh, control of the legislature go back and forth. Um, Obviously, Republican Governor Glenn Youngkin just recently took office. And so we have this situation where the legislature is split. The lower chamber, the House of Delegates, is controlled by Republicans, but Democrats actually control the upper chamber, the Senate. And then obviously, Governor Youngkin would be responsible for signing any bills that they pass into law. So it's created this very interesting situation where Governor Youngkin in recent days has been advocating for Republican lawmakers to try to come up with some bipartisan compromises on abortion. You know, he said he would like to see a 15-week ban passed. Um, He told that to the Washington Post uh, the day the Supreme Court's decision came down. He said he would settle for a 20-week ban. But Democrats are saying, no, you know, those are non-starters for us. We do not want to see abortion access restricted in this state. And it's worth saying that Virginia allows abortions in the first and second trimesters of pregnancy. And, you know, as long as Democrats remain in control of the Senate, you know, it's unlikely that Republicans will be able to get anything uh, to Governor Yunkin's desk, because even if they introduce something in the House, you know, it's unlikely that it will, you know, make it out of committee, um, even and if it were to somehow, you know, it won't make it out of the Senate and and to his desk. And so there's a lot of attention right now on the Virginia Senate and a lot of attention on the upcoming legislative races, which won't happen this year, but will happen in 2023. And folks are looking at and saying, you know, Democratic control of the Senate 
you know, for abortion rights proponents, you know, it is important for them to be able to keep abortion access in Virginia. Um, if the balance power shifts, we could see the policy change in Virginia as well. Yeah, I want to talk about Biden and executive action as well. You know, we've had this interesting conversation about all these different places that abortion is at in different states. But there are plenty of abortion rights advocates who say, you know, Biden, you, there's more that he can do with executive action. What are you hearing from from people and what are they pushing? Talking to abortion rights advocates at the state level, you know, I think there is a lot of frustration with the Biden administration for not doing more. I think everyone sort of understands that the dynamics of the Senate are what they are. But a lot of people, again, who are supportive of abortion rights believe that there's more the Biden administration could be doing through executive action. Mm -hmm. Could be a lot of mundane administrative things that most people wouldn't think about, but could actually have a substantial impact. And so I think in lieu of seeing sort of these innovative strategies, state leaders on this issue are, you know, saying, okay, well, well, it's up to us. You know, we have to figure out how we're going to address this. If we're in a state that has banned access to abortion, you know, how are we going to help get people across state lines If we live in a state where abortion is legal, you know, what are we going to do to protect providers and boost access to abortion services? So I think there's this sense of maybe frustration with the Biden administration, Mm -hmm. but I think there's also the sense of, okay, well, if the federal government isn't going to do it, then we have to do it. We can't just sit sit around and wait for, for the Biden administration to take executive action on this. Do you know of any of the possible solutions that they're looking for? Like, what what would any of those creative solutions be that the Biden administration hasn't done? I think there's a number of different things they're looking at. I mean, we've seen this talked about at the national level as well, you know, like the possibility of opening abortion clinics on federal land, um, which, you know, there's a lot of debate about whether that could or could not be done from a practical standpoint. You know, a, a lot of folks I know would like to see the FDA be more vocal. You know, it has obviously authorized the medication that is used for medication abortion. Mifepristone. Yes, mifepristone and misoprostol. People would like to see the FDA um, maybe be a little bit more vocal about that and be a little bit more clear about, you know, what their role is um, in overseeing those medications and what that means in terms of state law. So I think folks are just looking for a little bit more clarity from the federal government um, on the areas in which it could potentially provide support to, again, abortion proponents, um, abortion rate proponents. But I don't think we've seen any of sort of those strategies materialize yet. So I think there's a sense that they're they're just looking at what they can do with their state legislatures or individually within their organizations at the state level. Folks on the the anti-abortion side of the debate have invested in states a little bit more than those of the other side of the debate have. And that's, hmm. you know, because for a long time, um, Roe was the standard at the national level. Um, and so anti-abortion advocates sort of saw the states as as this fertile battleground. But now we're seeing this debate entirely shift back to the states. Obviously, Congress could pass something, you know, doesn't seem like there's the political support either direction for a ban or to pass protections. Uh, But in lieu of congressional action, you know, it's going to be up to the states to figure out how they want to address this issue moving forward. All right, that's our show for this week. I'm Annie Reese, and a huge thank you to Megan Messerly from our healthcare team for joining me. 
Pulse Check's senior editor is Raghumana Valen, and our executive producer is Jenny Ament. Thanks so much for listening. Talk to you again next week. <laughs>